Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Jim Quick is my brain guru. He literally has superpowers. So after a childhood injury gave him some brain damage, he became dedicated to turning his brain into a super machine, figuring out and exercising his brain until he can use it to its full, as much as his full capacity as possible. Super memory, speed reading, what it takes to keep building his neuroplasticity so he can keep learning things quickly and on and on. The results can be found in his excellent book, Limitless. Limitless came out 10 years ago. It sold millions of copies, but now he has an expanded edition with a lot more information, a lot more stories, a lot more useful advice based on research and his own practices in the past few years and on and on. He has an online academy for all this, and he's even gone out to Hollywood to teach actors like, for instance, the actors in the movie X-Men, and he tells that story in the podcast. So now, again, the expanded 10th year anniversary edition of Limitless has just come out, and he's come on the show to talk about it and to help me improve my brain. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. Jim, you haven't been, you know, the interesting thing about doing a podcast for almost 10 years is that among my guests now are all the people who were guests eight, nine, 10 years ago who are yeah. now doing the 10th year anniversary of their, <laughs> of their books. So, so Limitless, the expanded edition just came out. I mean, I know you've added some chapters on AI and other things, but why did you decide 10th year anniversary edition instead of whole new book? Just the world has changed, especially the past few years. Uh, so external reasons, uh, post-pandemic, AI-intensive world, and also, as we were talking before we started recording, my world has changed. I entered my 50s. We had our first child and really doubled down my commitment and my conviction, helping this generation really be prepared for the the world. Uh, I feel like the, the original book was very timely and also timeless. I mean, you're always going to be able to need to be able to read faster, improve your memory, your focus, your creativity, your problem solving, have good brain health. And also, I, I think people really want more momentum. This word kept on coming up, momentum, where they could have greater velocity with greater ease, greater enjoyment and effectiveness. And so we added a lot of new content in there. 
updated stories, case studies of readers. And I think a lot of people could see themselves in those stories. I feel like uh, some new research, uh, some new tools, but this will be it. This is like the most complete final version of uh, Limitless, Limitless Expanded. Well, it was particularly applicable to me in a different way than it was eight or nine years ago. And I'm glad to hear you've entered your 50s because I feel it's important not just for the next generation, but for people like you and me. Yeah. Because the brain changes. And yes, it changes, they say, starting at 35, like things like memory and raw processing power start to go down and things like pattern recognition and wisdom, I guess that's crystallized intelligence versus fluid intelligence go, go up. But you really start to feel it in the 50s. Like, <laughs> like how do you think your learning ability and... I don't know what you call it, calculation power, your memory. Yeah. How do you think that's changed as you enter your 50s? So I, I feel I feel I'm still at peak. I, I feel like I could, and a lot of stuff I do is measurable when I'm doing things, demonstrations in front of audiences and I'll memorize 50 or 60 people's names. Or and a lot of everything is measurable. You can measure someone's reading speed, their comprehension, you can measure their memory and, and so much more. Uh, but but certainly with clients, our focus point is on the hardware and the software. So yes, the book is full of methods to learn faster and focus and be more creative and solve problems and improve your enhance your memory. But also we have to take care of the hardware, which is that three pound organ between our ears, which uh, doesn't come with an owner's manual. So I would say that about one third of our brain's performance predetermined by genetics and biology, but two-thirds is in our control. I mean, some people say it's more than that. Uh, and controlling the controllables. And so I, I feel fresh. I mean, outside of a little bit of lack of sleep because it's, you know, we've been launched and um, the, the baby has given us a, quite a few sleepless nights over the past 10 months, for sure. Babies but suck, I, right? <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I mean, it's interesting, James. We go, we go way back. I, I would... I would say that I entered even fatherhood wanting to like teach the, this this you know brand new life all these things that I've learned in you know the decades I've been doing this but I find myself just observing and just watching him and and learn, probably I'm learning more than than he's learning from me meaning that that presence that curiosity I mean he'll go outside and just try to grab the sunlight and just he looks at everything when he comes into a new environment, like everything and everyone. He's just like so curious and fascinated. And um, yeah, I, I think he, he's he's been my he's been more my teacher than than I have been for him. That's funny. It, it reminds me of when when I had a when my baby was ten months, my second baby was ten months. I was going broke. I was losing my home. I was super scared and anxious all the time. And, I, and I, you know, I was day trading in the stock market, but it was a very, very difficult market in 2002. Uh, market went down like 26% that year. And I was scared all the time. And sometimes I'd have to pl play with the baby. And right. you, you, you have to do 100% focus when you're playing with the baby. You can't be, it's like meditation in some sense. You can't really have other thoughts or you're useless to taking care of the baby and watching it and playing with it and so on. So... I guess it taught me that to kind of control my anxiety a little bit at that time. 
Yeah, and be able to shut things off, even if you're worrying or ruminating about something else that you have to do. You have to absolutely, it's a nice exercise in being present. So that takes up most of my, that's my meditation nowadays, is, is being there and just, we'll talk about the different brain types, uh, that, that some new research and some new content in, in this new expanded book. But I think it it informs how we do things, especially with my wife and and, and others, and so it's. What do you um, mean with your wife? Well, I mean when you understand your brain type, so that there are these four cognitive types that we've identified. Something I've been using with with coaching clients in the book is the first time we've shared this publicly, and it's uh, just a quick assessment that we pulled on. Uh, it was inspired by personality types like Myers Briggs and introvert extrovert, multiple intelligence theory, left brain right brain dominance, and. Um, you know how we consume information, visual, auditory, kinesthetically, and um, so she happens to be—I I happen to be an elephant uh, with a strong owl tendencies, and she's a cheetah. And so we even parent a little bit different based on our brain styles, and um, and and it's it's interesting how we—it's kind of like people have their love language, right? They usually communicate if you subscribe to that model. And again, every model, it's not exactly reality, just like the, the whole phrase that the menu is not the meal, the map is not the territory, but it's a nice way of creating distinctions where we lean into our strengths. Like if somebody is right-handed, it doesn't mean they don't use their left hand, they're just probably not as effective with their left hand. And when it relates to learning, sometimes if our listeners want to learn faster, sometimes they're not learning it because the way you prefer to learn, you're brain animal, as I call it, is different than a teacher's uh, brain animal. And it, you kind of miss each other, like two ships in the night, and there's no, there's no connection. So we, we apply this, your, your brain dominance or your brain type, to, uh, to learning, to reading, to remembering. It's kind of like, you know how there's like personal medicine based on your genetics? You take a genetics test, and then it kind of informs uh, some, some of your health protocols. Uh, there's personalized nutrition based on like a nutrient profile or food sensitivity or microbiome test. This quiz that we created that's in the book is it allows you to see which cognitive type you are. And it also informs your strengths and your weaknesses. And that informs how you could read better. You know, it's a kind of like personalized learning based on your your brain, uh, your brain animal. Yeah, it was very interesting because so, I I took the test. I'm a, I'm a cheetah, and we'll we'll tell readers how to how to find the test. And I want to talk more about those. Yeah. I want to get to your. I always find your origin story fascinating, and and you've worked with so many superheroes, like in the Hollywood movies and so on. And it's interesting that your beginning interest in how the mind works and, and improving your brain it almost has like a superhero kind of origin story. I'm sure you've heard that a billion times, but. You know, you started getting interested in all this when you were younger. Like, what, what, what happened? So, when I was five years old, I was in kindergarten class, and there was this all these sirens outside, a lot of commotion. And as children, as five year olds are, we want to go. We're curious, and we can't even see outside the window because we're because of our height. And so, everyone, we grabbed our chairs and uh, to stand on them to look outside the window. And I, I unfortunately lost my balance. Or fortunately, lost my balance. I'm not really sure yet. And I went head first into mm. the, a radiator that was on the windowsill. And you know, after that, you know, rushed to the emergency room. This whole thing. But where it really showed up was I had processing issues, where teachers would re- have to repeat themselves over and over again. I, and I still wouldn't really understand. I had sensory issues. I had balance issues. 
um, coordination issues. Did you get any memory. kind of brain scan? Did you did you know if there was no, damage? No, I mean I don't think it was very. Nowadays maybe they would, but this was goodness. This was forty five years ago, so it, I, I didn't go for a scan. Where you know I had these migraines every single day, every single day when I was five, six, seven, eight. Um, it was it was kind of a like this light sensitivity. Um, it took me three years longer to learn how to read. Mm. I remember when I was nine years old, I was slowing down a class and I was being teased. Uh, I was always being teased for different reasons, but this day particularly, it was bad because I just really wasn't understanding. And the teacher came to my defense. I think she was a little bit frustrated because kids could be hard in general. It's a job as a teacher is, is very difficult. My mom became a special education teacher in the New York uh, public school system to help me with my my learning challenges, and she became passionate and just recently retired. But um, yeah, it was. She said to save me. She said in front of the whole class, James. She said, "Leave that kid alone. That's the boy with the broken brain." Oh my gosh! And you could say that label became my limit. It was one of those things where I didn't realize, like as a as a kid, you're kind of forming your identity. And then I was like, oh, I didn't know I was broken. I mean, that's a um, so that became my internal self-talk and my belief system. So did you go home and cry? Like, what did you do when you yeah, went home? Yeah, it was it was bad. I mean, I had a lot of kind of those times because I just didn't understand. I didn't have a lot of friends, and it was I, I, my superpower back then was like shrinking down, like mm-hmm. collapsing. Even if I look at old pictures, I was always like hunched over because I didn't want to take up, I think, a lot of space. It's because, funny that's a posture that usually, like, again, uh, children of who suffer from child abuse from their parents often mm-hmm. have that hunched over posture. Yeah, because I think you don't want, you don't want to be noticed, right? Because so, you don't want to be abused or bullied or a target. And and I also never knew the answer. So even intellectually, I never knew the answer. So I didn't want to be called on. So I was just trying to be invisible. So I would shrink down. I would sit all the way in the back if I could. I would be behind the tall kid in class. I would get so nervous before a quiz. I would make myself so sick. I would have to be, have to be rushed to the you know, in the nurse's office. So this was like a, I mean, everybody has their story. Um, and mine's, you know, not necessarily more intense than anybody else's. And it's really, people go through a lot more intense. But for me, it was it was very personal. I felt like I was just not good for anything. I wasn't picked for sports. So I'd always say, you know, because I have the broken brain. I was, I never did well in school. So I'd always say, oh, it's because I have the broken brain. And that was a big part of my beliefs. And it never got easier in school. I mean, this was elementary school, middle school, junior high, high school. I, I mean, there's a number of times I almost failed uh, high school English. So it was, a, it was a big challenge. It wasn't a, even when I'm talking about it, buddy, like it's just, even my, my voice gets a little hoarse and kind of little, get a little, little choked up. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now. 
by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there and it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the, the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, if you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And, you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important, and I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So what did you do to kind of turn things around? When I was 18, I was lucky enough to get into like a local state, you know, uh, college. And I thought I could be a freshman. And when I heard the word freshman, I thought, wow, that meant I could make a fresh start. That was my kind of logic. So I took all these classes and I wanted to show the world, show myself that I could do it. And I did worse. Um, And I was ready to quit. My how, parents come, said, how come you think you did worse than you thought you were going to do? Um, because I took all these classes with the anticipation I can make a fresh start. And I did worse, I think, because I think, first of all, college is a lot more difficult than high school because one of the reasons why, at least in high school, you're there 40 hours a week. And in college, you're doing, what, 15 credits maybe? It's like 15 hours a week. And so much more of that time is meant to be independent and you going through it. And I didn't have you know, by myself, I wasn't, I wasn't getting it, the job done. And, uh, and I had a pressure. I'm the oldest of three kids. My parents immigrated to the United States. Um, my dad was 13. He lost both his parents mm-hmm. and didn't speak the language. We live in the back of a laundromat that my mom worked at. They had many jobs. It was my dad's aunt, who I only knew as my grandmother, that kind of raised me um, because my parents were always working. Um, and and then she, she started showing early signs of dementia when I was five. 
So I compounded to my accident. You know, she ended up passing when I was seven. Um, and it just informs like your your view on life. So I didn't understand like how an adult could call me by my father's name, or she would repeat herself, you know, thirty seconds later after she just said something, and that was very confusing. And um, I mean. When, so when I was in school, I wanted to. I had a lot of pressure because I wanted to just be a good role model for my my younger brother and sister. I wanted to you know, make my parents proud because they sacrificed a lot, and and I also didn't have the money to be in school, and so that's why I was why I wanted to quit. And when I told uh, my roommate, uh, sweetmate, that I was going to quit, and he was, he was like, "Hey, before you quit school, that's a big decision. Why don't you?" Uh, why don't you come with me to my family's home? I'm going home this weekend and get some perspective. And I think when we're stuck in any situation, being changing the, your place or changing the people you're around helps change your, your point of view. And you can see things in a new light. And I did. I visited the family and pretty well off, beautiful home on, on the water. And then the father walks me around his property before dinner. And he asked me a very innocent question. But James, it was the worst question you could ask me. It was, how's school? Right? Every you ask that all the time to students, right? How's school going? And I just break down in front of this complete stranger because I was just holding all this angst. And I'm naturally very introverted, but I was painfully shy. So for me to be that emotional in front of somebody, I was just that it's kind of a that that was the kind of pressure I was under. And I was telling him my whole story about my brain injury and I can't learn. I'm ready to quit school. I don't know how to tell my parents. And then he asked me a very another question, which is interesting because often questions re kind of engage your focus. He says, "Well, why are you in school?" Mm. And uh, and I didn't have an answer. I was that is like, a great question, and so few people ask that kind of question yes. back then. And so, and then nobody's ever asked that. I was just going down a track that I was just. I assume you go to school and you get your job, you do certain things, um, and I didn't have an answer. I was just like, "I'm in school because everyone just goes to school, right?" And then he was like, well, what do you want to do with that? You know, what do you want to be? What do you want to do, have, create, contribute? And I, I didn't have any answers for any of those questions either because nobody's ever asked me that before. So I didn't have like a road response. And I wasn't a big dreamer. I was just looking to survive. It was, it was you know, safety is, is a big thing for me. And, um, and he walks me through a little exercise and he makes me write down like a bucket list, like, you know, the, the things I want to be, do, have, share, before I kick the bucket, like a dream list, right? And it's interesting. When I'm done, I start folding the pages to put it in my pocket, thinking, okay, this ex- cute exercise, I'm going to put it in my pocket. And he rips the pages out of my hand and he starts to read my goals and my dreams, fantasies, whatever they are, to himself. And I don't know how much time goes by, but when he's done, because I'm, I'm afraid the entire time I'm going to be judged, right? I'm a very insecure kid teenager and he's like he says Jim you are this close to everything on this list and he spreads for people listening just on audio not video he spreads his index fingers like a foot apart and I'm like no way give me 10 lifetimes I'm not going to crack this list and he takes his fingers and he puts them to the side of my head hmm. uh, implying what's in between my brain is like this key and uh, he takes me into his home and shows me a room that I've never seen before it's a uh, it's wall to wall, ceiling to floor, covered in books, and I've never read a book, you know, in my in my life. I'm a very poor reader at the time, and 
Uh, it's 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 like being it's very intimidating. So it's like being in a room full of I don't know snakes. And what makes it worse? He starts going to the shelves and pulling snakes off the shelves and handing them to me. And I look at the titles of these books, and there are these biographies of some incredible you know women and men in history, and some very early old school personal growth books like Napoleon Hill, Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, you know, um, Dale Carnegie's books. And he says, Jim, you have to read to succeed. And I want you to read one of these books a week. And then I go back to saying, All right, have you not heard anything I've told you? <laughs> I start, people at events, when they know I'm a memory coach, a brain coach, they always pull me aside in the lobby before I go on stage and they're like, Oh, I'm, Jim, I'm so glad you're here. I have a horrible memory. I'm just getting too old. And I always say, stop. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. They're, they're yours, right? But that was my, my insecurity. And I was like, I can't do it. I have too much schoolwork. And when I said schoolwork, he pulls out this Mark Twain quote and says, don't let school interfere with your education, right? And I was like, well, that's, that's very wise. And I, I still can't commit to it. Because if my parents... They're, they're not the, the wealthiest or the most educated, the most spiritual or health conscious. They've never had a green juice or taken a yoga meditation class, but they're just really good people. They're hard workers. They do what they say. And I, I can't commit to reading all these books. because. And then very smart man, he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out my, my dream list and he starts to read every single one of my goals out loud, one by one. And I, I'm trying to, I don't know how to describe my current state, so insecure, a lot of self-doubt and fears, don't believe in myself, I think I'm broken. Hearing your goals by another person in front of you kind of encanted out into the, the universe. And it messed with my mind and my heart something fierce because a lot of things on that list were things I wanted to do for my parents. Like things what's an that, example? Like things, they, they never take, took trips, right? We never, we didn't do, we, they, they never had fan, anything fancy, um, going places that they wanted to go, revisiting family in Asia, but they just never did that. Things they even if they had the means, they probably wouldn't do it. Um, and with that leverage, though, I agree to to read one book a week because I found some level of purpose, and I talk a lot about that in the book in terms of things have to go from your head to your heart to your hands. Like if we don't feel something, I don't feel like we do something. And I felt something big there, and I didn't want to. I never want to let them down. So, can I ask you again? Like, I, yeah. I, we've talked about this guy before. I mean, like again, like nine years ago, and I've heard you speak about this. But who was this guy? Like, he's super wise. Like, this is in the eighties. No, yeah. Like, he's he's really in, he he's really into taking care of, of your situation. You're you're a stranger to him too. You're just your, yeah. his his son's buddy, and. Like what's he doing now? Like where where is he? I, what did he do for a living? Yeah, and I don't even know because we never had contact past past mm. our that that mentorship really lasted that that weekend. Um, and so I tried to find him like years years ago on Facebook and such, but I could I it didn't I don't know if I mean this again this was this was thirty something years ago. Yeah. So I mean I'm hoping you know they're they're doing well, but. I didn't really keep in touch with a lot of a lot of people back back in school, but yeah, it was just I, I guess certain you know we hear that the the phrase when the student is ready, teacher appears. It was one of those kind of kind of Yoda, mm. you know, Miyagi 
situations, but I never got to spend time more than really that conversation and you knew a couple meals while I was visiting and then and then that was it. Because I, my, my life kind of took a different path because when I went back to school, I had a, I was sitting at my desk, I remember vividly, I was a pile of books I had to read like for midterms and then there was a pile of books that I promised to read and I already couldn't get through pile A. So where do I get the time? I just don't do anything else. I don't eat, I don't sleep, I don't exercise, I don't socialize, I just live in the library. And then after weeks and weeks and weeks of doing that, I end up passing out one night around 2 a.m. I fall down a flight of stairs, just out of pure exhaustion, hit my head again at the library. Just woke up in the hospital a couple of days later, lost all this weight. I was down to like 117 pounds and it was, it was, it was the darkest time in my life by far. Um, I felt literally just completely worthless. And yeah, I thought I died. Maybe part of me wished I just, I just felt like a burden to people, right? And when I was, I was like, there had to be a better way. And when I had that thought, the nurse came in with a mug of tea and on it was a picture of Albert Einstein. And more important was a quote that shifted my, just, it felt like he was talking to me. It said, the same level of thinking that has created your problem won't solve your problem. And it made me ask a new question. It's like, what's my problem? Well, I have a broken brain. I'm, I'm a very slow learner. And I was like, well, according to Einstein, how do I think differently? Well, maybe I could fix my brain. Maybe I could learn how to learn better. <laughs> and I was like, where do I do that? School. And then I look at the course bulletin and there are classes on what to learn, but not how to learn. So I set my studies aside because I wasn't making any traction there anyway. And I just started studying these books and really wanted to understand. I got really curious. I wanted to know this weird transition, but I wanted to find out, like, how does my brain work so I can work my brain? I mean, how, how do you learn to focus or remember things? And I started studying these subjects and I saw like a, there was like a speed reading book and one of my hallmates like bed one time and I asked like, what's that? And they didn't know what it was. And they let me have the book and I read this book about the, the basics of scanning and skimming. And, and then I got, I got introduced to ancient mnemonics um, and, and some that? other things. Just uh, uh, the book Limitless extended, expanded. It's more like it's based on neuroscience and how the brain works and adult learning theory. But I also had a deep dive. I was like, what did people do before there were like books, like printing presses, right? Before the internet or whatever. And uh, and I started studying, like I found out that there, and I know we talked about this in a previous episode, this memory palace where they used to, 2,500 years ago, would remember things by attaching it to places that they were very familiar with. And I got very fascinated about things like that and learning how to study. I picked up books on studying methods and I started going through all these Remember, like Kaplan and some of these yeah. study courses, Princeton Review, and I couldn't go through the courses, but I could go through their books. And and um, yeah, about a couple months of just doing a deep dive in this, I started to like a light switch flipped on, and I started to really understand things for the first time. I started to get better grades, and with that, I started having greater confidence. And not only did my grades improve, but my life improved. And um, to put a, a bow on the story, the reason why I'm even doing this and I'm in conversation with you now is I started to tutor because I needed the money and I wanted to help people. I felt really upset that I struggled for my whole life up to that point and there were simple things I could do uh, to make it better, but nobody showed me how to do that. So I started helping other people. And at at my- this time, like, what do you think was, you know, 
you were learning so much. You were learning speed reading. You were learning the memory palace techniques yeah. for memorizing. You were learning the importance of positive thinking and, and mm -hmm. so on. What do you think was the, the single technique, if there was one, or the single concept that really at that point gave, gave you the most feelings of improvement? There were there were two. I, I I really leaned into the speed reading, and I got very very good at it because I, when you're when you struggle with something for so long, and then you learn a couple of things, and you get to go from way below average to average, that's a huge like gain. And then part of my identity started to change, and I wanted to go beyond that. So I went from a way sub reader to a normal like everybody else on average. And then I wanted to see how far I could take it. So that I really felt because if you could triple your reading speed, you feel that automatically, right? I've been doing this for 32 years. We have online speed reading memory courses that are very popular and we have students in every country. So we got a lot of like feedback. And it's very and measurable too. Like you can it tell. It is very measurable. It's reading speed, reading comprehension. You know, we test it daily with people. And um, and it's it's very empirical, right? And you could not only that, but if you can even double your reading speed, read something in thirty minutes that normally takes an hour of study, like that level of ease, it just compounds over time. Because if you're studying four hours a day, and all of a sudden you could do that in two hours a day, that just that's a game changer. Because yeah. two hours a day over the course of a year is like seven hundred whatever thirty hours. Yeah, and that that's just like that's eighteen. 40-hour work weeks. That's like four months you get back. So that was, that was a big one. And the other one was, the I, I stalked this uh, magician. There was this magician that's very unknown, but he was he was doing a... Friends, we went to go see this guy perform and you know all the sleight of hand stuff, and that's very impressive. But he did this memory thing where he was able to memorize like a list of random words. And I was like blown away. Because I was, I've never seen it. That, that he was like my Roger Bannister, right? The guy who broke the four minute mile, and then all of a sudden it made it possible for everybody else because he changed, you know, our perception about uh, what's possible. And I, I stalked this guy because he was performing there like three nights in a row. And so I went to the other shows, and I would like be in the lobby, waiting for him to leave. And it was not a big show, right? Was, I'm just talking about like 40, 30, 40 people. And um, and when I grabbed him the last night, I just asked him about it a little bit and he shared because I don't know if I don't know I heard like magicians aren't supposed to share their secrets but he kind of gave me the basics of it and I was like wow and I was like can I share this with my friends he's like oh yeah go 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 run with it this is a uh, these mnemonic kind of tricks and I don't I don't know if he'd know how far I took it but <laughs> um but that gave me a lot of confidence because I could easily remember vocabulary and remember more what I read and remember some of the key points to what I needed to present in class or remember on a test. It's kind of like a cheat code because instead of going in with notes, you have mental notes. And um, now, so for, now and this is the memory palace technique. It's, you know, you've just, you talk about this everywhere in the, the book and in our, yeah. you know, we, we went through the exercise. The issue with the memory palace a little bit, this is not a problem, but you have to have lots of locations if you're memorizing lots of things. So if you're going from a test to learning a language to remembering everybody's phone number, you got to have different locations. So did you start collecting I, you know, I locations? I have, I have thousands of locations that's built up over years. Um, for people who are not sure what this is, it's basically like you could use your home or your childhood home or many different homes that you've lived in. 
you know, I've had many different apartments in New York City and studios. And mm. basically, you're standing in a doorway and you're picking maybe, let's say, five objects going clockwise. And then you say, okay, the microwave is the first place, the listening in the kitchen. The second place is the stovetop. The third place, the refrigerator. Fourth is the, I don't know, the dishwasher. The fifth is a sink. And then you go into the next place and say, okay, the fireplace is number six, bookshelf is seven, and so on. And these create like mental filing systems and folders for you to put in foreign information. So if I wanted to teach somebody to memorize the 10 keys for a limitless brain, and the first one happens to be good brain diet, I put those foods in the microwave. If the second one was killing ants, automatic negative thoughts, I put that, you know, imagine killing ants on the stovetop. If the third one is exercise, I imagine opening up the refrigerator and people working out, right? And it's so simple that, but even if I said that, most people would remember it. And you could do that for hundreds of places. Now, memory palace is just one of the techniques. There's story methods and chain linking and basic association and alphanumeric codes. We teach all of that. Um, that's not based on locations. So you could do it in using the alphabet. Uh, you could do it using a visual memory system, like uh, based on what things look like. You could say the number one is an antenna. Number two looks like a swan. Number three looks like handcuffs. Number four looks like a sailboat. And then you could go to like 20, 25, whatever, and then you can store information on those things, right? But it's basically what you're doing, you're hearing it by saying it, you're seeing it by visualizing it, and then you make it kind of gluey emotionally, make it sexy or violent or some kind of action-oriented. And when people could use your visual auditory and emotional faculties, we use recruit more of our nervous system. And no wonder we learn it better, because the alternative is what? repetition, which is just boring, is repeating something over and over and over again. So you could do, in physics, there's like, what, three variables. There's frequency, there's duration, and then there's intensity. So if you want to work out frequency, you could just do more reps. If you want a duration, you could spend more time on the treadmill, right? Or you could do some kind of, you know, hit training where it's so intense. And the benefit of doing intensity is it doesn't, frequency and duration take time. I mean, even if you think about sales or marketing, which I know they're different, but frequency is like running lots of ads, right? Um, or lots of sales calls. Duration is having a longer infomercial or a longer sales video. But something could be so intense in your marketing, meaning it hits people, it connects emotionally, it's, they can see it, 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 it becomes viral, whatever. And you don't have to repeat it because you just, and it doesn't take a lot of time. So, you know, it's that for me, that's working smarter versus working harder. And like people have done for hundreds of years, they read the same way, they re did road repetition. Even when churches started like universities and rote learning came from rote, like a, if you join the Rotary Club, their symbol is a wheel, is the teacher repeating a fact. And that's the first half of the wheel. And then the class, the students re repeat it back. And that's the second half of the wheel. And then they would just keep on going until that wheel is turning 40, 50 times, and then you learn something. Mm. But the problem is, is, not only is that boring, but it takes an immense amount of time for the world we live in now. Maybe that was okay and that was suffice back when we didn't have the internet and you, you know all the information that's coming out of fire hose nowadays. But um, yeah, I would, I would say that Two of the most important skills to master in 21st century is our ability to process information and then retain it. And I think our ability to learn rapidly and translate that learning to action is, is an incredible competitive advantage in a world that's ever-changing.
If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You don't think that subsides with age, like issues of memory? Um, I think just like with our body, our body slows down, certainly. It's just I feel like most people underestimate how much they could do as they grow older. Like um, my 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 numbers are better than they ever have been. I mean, granted, I'm very practiced and I live this information, but there's so many things you could do to stave off brain aging because it's it's really use it or lose it. One of the challenges that we talk about in the book is with technology. It's so very convenient. But if we're relying on that technology all the time, it's just like with our physical body. If you have to go to the bank and it's eight blocks away, you jump into a lift or your car, you don't get your steps in, right? So it's convenient, but it can be crippling because our body is use it or lose it and our brain is part of our body and it's use it or lose it. Or if, you're, if your apartment's on the fifth floor, your office is on the fifth floor and you take an elevator, you're not doing the stairs, it's certainly, again, convenient, but there has to be some kind of balance. Even in a world full of AI, you don't want to get mentally lazy, right? It's, you know, I talk about the four supervillains of the mental apocalypse in the book. And these are things that are not um, caused by technology, but technology certainly amplifies it. Like you have digital distraction. You know, how do you maintain your, your concentration when you need to with your kids or at a business meeting? If, you know, when a roll full of rings and pings and dings and app notifications, social media alerts. And so that's why we've, you know, we have all chapter dedicated to focus on concentration. Your digital dementia, which is a term in healthcare where we're relying on devices to be an external memory aid or storage uh, device for us. And I don't want to memorize, I mean, I don't want to memorize 500 phone numbers, um, but how many phone numbers do we used to know? Yeah. Like, but how many do we know currently? And again, I don't want to memorize all the phone numbers, but it should be concerning we've lost the ability to remember one phone number or a PIN number or a passcode or a seed phrase or something we just read or someone's name that we just heard. Like, like I could still remember the phone number of my best friend when I was in fourth grade, but sometimes I have a hard time remembering my current phone number. <laughs> like, And it's interesting because it's use it or lose it because we don't have to, right? It's the same thing. Um, another one is digital deduction, and I term that just so it's yeah, I alliterate a lot. So I want to make sure distraction, <laughs> dementia, deduction, it just kind of all match. But digital deduction is my way of saying like I, I saw I, I I read this thing where uh, this generation they don't have the same ability to rationalize, use critical thinking, logic as a previous generation, and they attributed it uh, correlated with like technology because technology is not teaching you just what to learn is teaching us what to think, right? And so even when you take things like um, 
getting from here to there, what I was saying before, you, if you have your phone and you have your Maps app open, you just follow it. You don't have to develop your visual spatial intelligence right. because a, a device is doing it for you. And then the last one is digital um, deluge, which is information overload. And that's why you do speed reading, accelerated learning study skills, because the amount of information is doubling at dizzying speeds. But how we read it is the same as it's always been. And the last time we took a reading class, we were like six or seven years old. So the difficulty and demand has increased a lot, but our skill hasn't met up to that demand. And so, um, you know, and, and it, there's a health effect too. For those of you struggling with like, keeping up with all this information, it's higher blood pressure, less leisure time. More sleeplessness, you know, more rumination, because we just can't get through our inbox or something or something like that. And and so, when did you to say to yourself, "Hey, I love this so much, and I'm seeing so many benefits from this. I want to make a career out of this. I want to help other people learn better." So, okay, I don't really share this part, but um, so basically, I was helping out my my sweet mates. Right, because I was really pissed that I didn't learn it. And I want to help other people because they're struggling, offer their advice. And for the first time, I started developing pride because I was good at something and mm-hmm. I wanted to share it and then kind of feature it. Obviously, there's a secondary gain, but I also knew my friends were struggling also as well. And I was showing them these kind of fun things that they could do. Um, and friends was like, hey, you should tutor this. And I'm like, I've never tutored anything, right? Who goes to me for that kind of advice? And I was like, how would I do that? And I was had that thought there was a classroom that wasn't being used. I was walking past on a Thursday night. And I said, okay, next week at the same time, uh, that same classroom, next same day, I'm going to just put five, five people in there and teach them free for an hour or two about what's working for me. And then maybe afterwards, one or two of them want to be tutored. And so this is my first marketing. I go back to my dorm room and I take out a marker and a piece of paper. I write, Free speed reading, memory tips, get better grades, less time. That's like my first advertising, right? And I write the, you know, Thursday, seven o'clock, this classroom. The next morning, I make some photocopies. I put it, not a lot, but I, on the way to class the next morning, I put them on bulletin boards. Fast forward to Thursday, I just hope I'm walking to this classroom and I'm hoping just like five people show up and I turn the corner and I'm running a little bit like on time but late. And there's a crowd of people outside the classroom. And my honest first gut reaction was like, wow, I hope whatever's going on, it ends soon so I could do my thing, right? And I can't even get in the doorway because there's people standing in the doorway. And I was like, what? I was like, what's going on inside? And he looks at, the guy looks at me, he's like, there's a speed reading class. Honest to God, I said, wow, what a coincidence. <laughs> like, like, what are the odds? The same classroom, same night, there's another speed reading class, right? And I go inside. Place is packed, right? All the seats are taken, people standing in the back, and lo and behold, nobody's teaching, right? And it takes my slow brain all that time because you can't see something unless you believe it's there, right? So I didn't believe, like, and and, and I do a head count, uh, and there's not five or 10 people, there's 110 people. And I freak out because remember, I'm phobic of public speaking, I'm always shrinking, I would always make an excuse not to give a presentation or whatever. My heart's being out of my chest. I'm 18 years old. I look like I'm like 13 years old. I'm wearing t-shirts, shorts. I have nothing prepared to talk about. And I'm scared out of my mind. So I leave. Because I can't. I, like it's different between having a fear of public speaking and being phobic, where you can't, I literally couldn't talk. And I go um, and I sit by like a fountain outside to kind of get my bearings because I can't even go back to my dorm room because my friends knew I was gonna 
be doing this and they would tease me or whatever. And I hear this voice, like I'm like meditating, I hear this voice inside my head, and it's my mom's. And she basically said, wow, 100 people came out, you promised to help them, you're disappointing them, you're disappointing me kind of message. And I'm doing this walking meditation back to the, you know, back to my dorm room. And I take, I stop and I take one step back to the classroom. And that's why I always tell people that one step in another direction completely changes your destination. Mm. Your, you know, some people call it their destiny or whatever. I go back to the classroom and long story short, I, I talk for a couple hours. It just flows through me. I have no idea what I talked about, right? But at the end, when I came out of this kind of flow stream of consciousness state, I was like, um, I don't know if I could help you, but I, it takes about 10 hours to teach you what I know. I, uh, I get paid $30 an hour as a tutor. If you're interested, I'll be in the student center tomorrow at noon. I'll answer your questions. And I swear, James, 100 people got up and they all left. Not one person talked to me. Hmm. And so now it's 10 o'clock, something like that at night. I'm in a classroom all by myself. And I'm feeling like, number one, completely confused, like what the heck happened? And number two, I feel so exhausted. Because when you face a fear that you've had literally every moment of your life, uh, it, I just was depleted mentally, emotionally, physically. And I fall asleep on the floor in the carpet in that classroom. And I get woken up the next morning by the class coming in 8 o'clock the next morning and drooling at myself, whatever, very embarrassing. I run back, shower, go to breakfast, go to class. 12 o'clock comes up, I remembered that I said I'd be in the student center. And I was like, I don't even have to go. No one's going to show up. But I end up going, and I hope just one person believed and you know, didn't think I was a complete idiot. And that same crowd was waiting for me at wow. the student center. And at the end of two hours, 71 of those students signed up for a program that didn't even exist at $300 a person. I didn't even realize this because James, I was so not even thinking. Like I said, 10 hours, $30 an hour. And I didn't realize kids had this ATM card because I never I didn't have an ATM card. I never even saw three hundred dollars before. And they go and kids go in the student center and take out cash. And the first one to hand me the cash, I was like, "Whoa, what's this?" And they, you know, I kind of did the math. And so I'm not even nineteen years old. And then after two hours, I have twenty one thousand dollars cash. That's unbelievable. In my Jim. pockets and in my book bag. <laughs> And you know, I, would I, remember, been, I would have been rich if I was yeah, nineteen yeah, with twenty one thousand. I had nothing. You don't understand. Like I was, I was one hundred seventeen pounds because I lost all that weight uh, because I was just not eating or sleeping or anything. And you know, I, I use it to get my whatever pizza and Chinese food. But I use it going back to this mentor. Just don't let school get in the way of your education. I use it to fund my real education. I, I buy every audio cassette, and I'm dating myself a little bit here. Um, go to every like event that I could go to to learn, um, you know, what I learn now. And uh, and one of those 71 kids was that college freshman who read 30 books in 30 days. And her motivation—I know how she did it—but her motivation was her mom was dying of terminal cancer, was given mm-hmm. two months to live, and she ended up saving her mom's life. And in that moment, I realized that if knowledge is power, and learning is our superpower. And I realized also my. My, my my mission. That's really my dharma. So really, you've been doing this ever since. Like it's such a it's such a blessing to find something you're excited about, and then yeah. people connect to it. It's not like you know. I'm, of course, you built up a career over years and decades and so on. Yeah. But to see so much excitement in the beginning really kind of probably lit you on fire. And and you said to yourself, "This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life." Yeah, and it. It's because it, it spread, right? I started doing this with students and then doing it at other universities. And then 
these kids would show remarkable improvement. I mean, who wouldn't do better if they knew how to do these things? And then their parents take note. And then those parents work at law firms or accounting firms or wherever. And I started to work doing programs for them. And then when the internet became more, you know, widely available, we brought everything into an, you know, online academies and podcasts and YouTube and and everything else and books and yeah, our mission. How did really- you get noticed by like the Hollywood people, like to get started in, in helping actors yeah. learn and memorize their lines and so on? I gave a presentation at a conference, and one of the attendees, I remembered his name. His, um, his name is Jim. It's not hard to remember because <laughs> it's my name also as well. But remembering someone's name is really leaves an impression. And because of it, we stayed in touch. And he was chairman of a big studio. And this was in 2013. And I was doing a little bit of coaching with, with some actors, but nothing you know wide scale. He brought me in to, it was 20th Century Fox. He was the CEO and chairman. And I'd go into a Friday training, and it was my best training because going into that room, their conference room, and they had all the movie posters of like Star Wars and Avatar, and it just put me in this kind of really good mood. And um, and I gave my best training, and afterwards he walks me around the films lot, and I've never been on a you know a, a film lot before, and I saw you know the story. I, I saw this poster of uh, Wolverine, mm-hmm. and then the movie was coming out for a few, in a few months, and I. I was like, ah, I love the X-Men. I just can't wait to see it. I mean, because and he picks up his phone, and then five minutes later, I'm in his theater with 3D glasses watching Hugh Jackman fight all these super ninjas, right? But then afterwards he gets me and says, How was the movie? I was like, You don't know this, but I grew up with learning difficulties, I had a brain injury, and I couldn't read. I taught myself how to read by reading comic books, something about the stories and the illustration just brought it to life. My favorite comic books was Wolverine and the X-Men. And he's like, Jim, I didn't know you like the X-Men. Do you want to go on set? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we have another 30 days of filming in the the new X-Men Days of Future Past in Montreal. I was like, I could, yeah, thank you. I would love to do that, but what can I do for you? He's like, do what you did for us. Teach him how to speed read scripts, memorize lines, be focused on camera. I was like, I could totally do that. The next morning, we're on what they call the X-Jet. And uh, I'm the last one on, because of LA traffic. And I, but I get on and the entire cast is on. Oh my gosh. I mean, Patrick Stewart, Hugh Jackman, and I don't even see them. I see like Professor X, Wolverine, and I'm sitting between sorry, I'm sitting between Holly Berry and Jennifer Lawrence going to Montreal. And I'm, you know, sharing my my brain performance memory tips to the cast and crew on the plane. We land the very next day, the very first shot, because I I, I told him this. I was like, you don't know this, but when I was nine years old. I, I read in the X-Men comic books that the X-Men school, Professor X's school for these mutants, were, were, was in Westchester, New York, where I grew up. And true story, I told them when I was nine years old, every weekend I would ride my little red Ross bicycle, banana seat bicycle around my neighborhood trying to find that school. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to find my, my superpowers. I wanted to find my super friends, right? Because X-Men aren't the strongest but they just didn't fit in. They're, they're, they're mutants, right? They're marginalized, and I felt like I, I could identify with that. Anyway, the very first shot in Montreal they shot the next day took place in the X-Men school. And it was just amazing, because as a nine-year-old, my inner self, my inner child, just watching my heroes come to life. But the caveat was, I spent a week there, I get home, and there's a package waiting for me. And it is this, uh, it's a looks like a TV. You open it up, and it's this photograph of me and the entire cast of X Men. And I mean, you, people look at it and they can see it. It's like my Facebook uh, cover photo forever. But 
if you think like who photoshopped that Asian dude in the middle. <laughs> but um, but the better than that was the note from the CEO. It said, Jim, thank you so much for sharing your superpowers with all of us. I know you've been searching for your superhero school since you were a kid. Here's your class photograph. Wow. And oh my that gosh. was just um yeah, this is very emotional. It just kind of felt like I came full circle. And um by finding my powers, I was able to find more my purpose and and help other people to to do the same. And and were were you did you get involved in helping them learn their script? Like how did it go teaching oh, them? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what I do with with actors. Um the speed read scripts because they have a lot of pages that they need to go through. Um, remember their lines, especially like you know, there's a very famous Oscar actor that you know wanted to go and do Broadway, but always had script. You know, when 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 you're doing pre-recorded work, everything can be fixed. You can do it shot twenty times, thirty times, and everything's fixed in post. But when you're alive, it's it's a different animal. So I, I share techniques. I help a lot of TED speakers memorize their TED 18-minute mm-hmm. TED talks. I help a lot of actors remember things verbatim. And the Memory Palace is very useful for remembering things like TED talks. I used to use it for yeah. memorizing. Uh, I did stand-up comedy for several years, and it's oh, very yeah. useful for memorizing the, the order and flow of the different routines and jokes I had. Oh, I, I love that. Wait, do you still have your, your club? No, I didn't because... It was vandalized because of me after I wrote this article about New York, and so I decided wow. to just sell my half of it. And, gotcha. And it was good though. And, I mean, you, you practiced. Am I yeah, getting this right? Like you used to practice, even train, like in the subway. And yeah, I yeah, uh, I love that, it, dude. I love that so much because I knew I had a hard time with short one-liners, you know. So I figured the subway is the best place to have a kind of aggressive audience whose own their attention spans only good for one liners so it forced yeah. me to really hone the craft there I absolutely love it but you know it's interesting because there's all these different techniques and you talk about them in in this book and I'm having a problem now where I feel like I feel like learning itself has become harder for me like maybe Memory is always hard unless I'm using like a very specific technique. But mm-hmm. but understanding and learning new things is getting harder for me somehow. Like my my listeners know this, but I've been going on what I call a quest, which is you know when I was in the '90s, I was a very competitive chess master, like a ranked tournament chess master, and so I've been on this quest to be as high ranked now as I was then, and mm-hmm. I'm doing everything I can, like. Um, you know, I, I took a break for 25 years, so I'm coming back to it. But I have coaching. I, I, I took memory lessons from the world memory champion. I have just uh, obviously chess lessons. I go to nutritionists, yeah. sports psychologists. I really work at this like many hours a day. I go to tournaments. And I feel like it's the first time in my life I'm putting this much work into learning something and i just not learning somehow. And I don't know what it is. So, um, so learning can be difficult, without a doubt. Because sometimes, if it's too easy, I feel like we're just validating what we already know. And certainly, you're making strides and you're pushing yourself, and it's focused, deep work. Um, I, I love it. I love a handle on on this with with you. You know, we could we could start here and take it offline. But I I I, I think I don't think I just, I just know that there's another level. It's just the 
I have too much experience in so many different verticals that to see and too many positive examples. And sometimes we don't study the outliers. We always kind of look at kind of what's in the curve. And, and I'm, I'm very fascinated by genius and, and I believe genius leaves clues. Part of what could be supportive besides the brain optimization, um, which I love to go through, uh, with you all in offline because we've talked about this in in your show before in terms of diet and sleep and stress management and all those the, the hardware stuff yeah but um but for the software stuff I think knowing your brain animal and I'll, and I could customize something for you offline but it's not just how smart you are it's how are you smart so the, the this brain type it let me give you some examples right so can I go through the code real real yeah, quick what the course. animals are yeah. Okay, so this was something that I use with coaching clients. And for the first time, I codified it and put it into the book and we released it available to the public. And so we pulled from the things I mentioned, uh, the sciences and psychologies to create this model. And this is how it's functional. So let me, let me just give you a quick summary on the animals themselves. Because everybody takes like a, you know, what Harry Potter character are you or Game of Thrones character. And so there's a quiz we put in the book you could also get it online. It's at mybrainanimal.com. And it's a four-minute, multiple choice. Go with your initial gut. And you get a detailed, personalized report based on your animal with follow-up on it, on how to read, how to remember, how to focus based on your animal type. And you'll even get further ones on how to negotiate based on your animal type, uh, parenting advice based on your animal type, and so on. So let, let's go through this. So this, the code, C-O-D-E, the C are your cheetahs. And the defining trait of cheetahs uh, like yourself, action, right? Very, very action-oriented, strong intuition. Um, they, 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 they go fast so they can adapt very quickly, right? And uh, they don't want to beat around the bush, kind of get, get to the point. And it's, they communicate that way and they buy that way and they invest that way sometimes also as well. Now, we're not any one animal, so let me say that. You know, if you're right-handed, it doesn't mean you don't use your left hand. But there's usually some form of dominance, mm. The O are your owls, and their defining trait is logic. They love data. They love facts and figures, right? Um, they take time to process information. And so just even thinking about it, the careers of a cheetah and owl, probably if they're in their element, would be different. They would, they would invest differently, right? They would even read and remember things differently, where maybe a, a cheetah is going through skimming and scanning, getting the gist. Maybe an owl is going more detail-oriented, as an example. The D in code are your dolphins, and their dominant trait is creativity. And these are people, sometimes they have a vision for their business, or a vision for their life. Maybe the other people around them can't yet see. They have very strong pattern recognition. Um, they think in pictures, uh, and there's usually a lot of passion behind it too, right? Uh, in terms of when they have something that's aspiring. And then finally, the E are your elephants. And your elephants, the defining trait is really empathy. They have strong interpersonal skills. These are they love to collaborate. They usually hold the ones that are holding a team together. They're extremely loyal. Um, they want to kind of reconcile and get kind of a group consensus. They learn best in groups, also as well. So even if you take these, like for example, we had our our team obviously go through this this assessment, uh, this quiz. A hundred percent of our customer service team ended up being uh, elephants, hmm. not by design, but it's just you go. High empathy, compassion, strong interpersonal skills, uh, community builders, right? They want to they feel everyone to feel supported and heard and seen. Um, my 
my CEO, or uh, my business partner, she's a she's a dolphin. She has this vision, very sinks and pictures. Has this vision that she's moving us towards. Our CFO, or our financial officer, is very very strong owl. Right, it's all about the numbers. So it's interesting how these things play out, and it's interesting. Right, it would be, be scarier if like he was a cheetah, for instance. Like you want your yes, CFO yes. to be or, an owl. or super creative dolphin. Yeah. Uh, and so it went really, and it's interesting because so this gives you power because it gives you some flexibility and some distinctions, and also takes some judgment out of yourself because again, it's not how smart you are; it's how are you smart, and you can lean in your strengths and surround yourself and delegate to the people around uh, who have who could who could compensate for for your you know lack of strength in certain areas. Now, where this could like let me give you uh, an example everyone would know. So if you take Harry Potter, right? Harry Potter is a cheetah. Very instinctive, just in the fray of things, adapts very quickly. Uh, Hermione, the she's very studious, right? She loves she fact she can recite any facts, any spell, right? She's an owl. Uh, I would say Dumbledore is that creative visionary. She runs a school, right? Hagrid was the one that kept the kept the kept the kids together, you know, as as a team. Loyalty is a big so he he would be an elephant. If you take something like Friends, Ross would be the owl. Scientist, a professor, knows a lot of facts. Joey would be the cheetah. Just doesn't even think, just does, mm. right? Just just acts. I would say uh, Phoebe would be the 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 dolphin, the creative, art, music, very expressive, passionate. Um, Monica always wanted to host everything at her apartment, right? She's the elephant that keeps keeping everyone together. You can do this with James Bond, Star Trek, Star Wars, everything, right? But my point of giving these reference points is maybe you start seeing that in other people, and also, also obviously, a lot of people share it. We do we we do this now with corporations uh, where we charge, but it's it's free here in the book. But it's you know you can have your team go through it. You get kind of seeing get the right people on the bus, make sure they're sitting in the right seats. And then everybody's in their in their strengths, and uh, and it, it it leads into you could use this for negotiation, you could use this for um, for parenting, you could use this for sales. I mean, even when you think about communication styles, just like love languages, you communicate in your love language. Well, a cheetah is very straight to the point, right? They're very direct, decisive. Their speech is concise. They're focused on action. They use action oriented words. They dislike dislike beating around the bush. You know, you would take something like owls and they would communicate in their brain type. They're very analytical, methodical. They prefer details. They they want even if you're persuading an owl, you're gonna use logic, right? Presenting facts and figures and data. Um, if you're taking a dolphin, a dolphin is is visionary and expressive. So they would communicate that way. They would talk about the big picture and future plans and innovative ideas. They'd be very enthusiastic and elephants. They would be your collaborators, so they have high empathy. So where that come out in their 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 communication when they're when they're talking to you or something, they're keen on understanding and validate other people's feelings. They're very they understand the perspective of other people. They often use inclusive language instead of I and me. They use like we and us, right? They're patient listeners because they want to make people feel valued and and seen and, and heard. So you could use this for sales and parenting, and it's interesting if you're parenting. You know, and or co-parenting and somebody else, and they're different animals because each one would would have different strengths and also blind spots, also because because of it. So, so that's interesting. So, are do you teach based on like does your learning change based on your your type? Yeah. So, so when we design these programs, we're meant to be able to hit all of the learning styles 
um, in terms of delivery, in terms of the words that I choose to use, in terms of the exercises. So it's, like dolphins really do really well with things like the memory palace because they're already visual, mm-hmm. right? Owls, you have to make it use more basic association and logic to link two things together, uh, even with names and faces, like the origin of the name or how do you spell the name or the meaning of the name, right? As opposed to remembering names for a dolphin, they would just say, Matt, oh, or they would just picture a, a doormat. Right, Some, something like that. Elephants learn differently because they actually they really care about the communication and the relationship. So they have that inherent motivation to remember a person's name, and they're paying attention because they're present, so they're really hearing the name also, also, also as well. Um, and so you could you could use this for study methods, focusing methods, memory methods, because under when you understand your how your brain works, you could work your brain better. And you can use this in sales because often just in like with love languages, if somebody has words of affirmation, other person's like service, you know, and, and you just bump heads because you're not meeting the other person's needs. But, you know, if you need to influence and persuade or you're a coach um, or you have a relationship with any human being, it just informs a better way to speak their language and also ways. And you're not stuck with any of these animals because of neuroplasticity you could change, right? You, you, could, you could become more logical through proper training and, and deep work. So, you know, I'm really excited about this because, again, I feel like this is where things are going, especially with AI, where it's, it's more personalized learning based on, on how you process information, how you sort for information, how you communicate information, retain information, and, and so much more. Do you think AI will, to a large degree, replace how the current education system works? I think it'll be an adjunct. I don't, I don't see it as artificial intelligence. I, I, I see it more as augmented intelligence. You know, technology is always, yeah, always changed uh, the, the classrooms, everything from even when we first started having calculators or stuff like that. And people thought, like, oh, people wouldn't have to, to do that. We're never going to have a calculator in our, in our pocket, you know. And the other day, it was weird. We went, to, we went out and they wanted to split the bill. Um, and there was 10 of us. This is, this is not even a joke, James. There was 10 of us. So they had take out, two people took out their calculators to try to divide by 10. And, um, and that was interesting. But that's digital deduction. That is interesting. I, that, we're so dependent on technology that we can't even do just even simple math. And that, that I think that's a little bit concerning. I mean, in, in Yuval Harari's Sapiens, he mentions yeah. that there's quite a possibility that people 10,000 years ago had, or I think, are, you know, we know actually that they had larger skulls than we have now. And it could be that they were actually smarter in some ways because they had to remember every plant every, in a five mile radius. They had to me- remember where all the where dangerous the plants soil, were. Where, yeah, where the fertile soil is, where yeah. the clean water is, where the enemy tribe is. I mean, uh, you would have to remember everything because there was no, there were no books, right? <laughs> no teleprompters, no internet, no nothing. And, and so, so while every technology has improved society and to some extent like we're we're not cold in the winters anymore we're, we yeah. we can get places faster we could we know the location of every place it may it, it we have outsourced parts of our what what was the human brain to to you know technology yeah, that's why i see it as augmented it's a, it, technology is like again fire is a form of early technology and it's just it's also how it's applied fire could cook your food or it could burn down your home it's just really how it's put into use for for me i'm not I have a very positive outlook towards technology. It, I mean, it allows this to happen, right? Like this yeah. conversation to happen. Um, and I just think that just bringing mindfulness into it. My my thing is when people pick up their phones out of just habit or boredom, then the technology is a tool for us to use. But if the technology is using us, then who becomes a the tool? Then then we become the tool, right? And so I think it it could drive distraction, uh, 
digital depression, right? Comparing yourself to everybody, yeah. highlight reel on social media. I want to remind people that the grass is greener where you water it. Sometimes on social media, it's greener because the filter they're using or it's a lot of artificial turf on social media also as well. Um, but yeah, for, for, for AI, we the specific strategies we put in the book are how to use, enhance your HI, your human intelligence. So for example, you know, I mentioned neuroplasticity. If somebody's listening, they don't know what that is. You could go into a, a chat GPT and say, uh, explain to me neuroplasticity in story format as if I am eight years old. And that would be a good foundation to build on, right? Because all yeah. learning is taking something unknown and linking it to something known, right? Taking something you don't yet know and connecting it and associating it to something that you do know. So it's, you take something outside of you and putting it inside of you and linking it until that becomes inside. The you know, I have a podcast like you, and sometimes if I'm interviewing an author and they didn't send me the book, and I I just don't want to read digital books because I don't need another excuse to be on a screen um, or get lost in the mail, I could go online and just say, "Hey, you know, give me a summary of this of this book." I could ask, "Say, hey, this is who I'm interviewing. Give me ten questions that are that they haven't been asked before." Uh, for my specific audience, and and not that I use any of these things verbatim, right? But it, it creates a nice create creativity partner or creative partner uh, for for this, even for memory. Like AI, like we're built, we have like a quick bot in our, our academy, and we uploaded all of our course load for like terabyte of information inside of it, and so it acts just like me. Like so, you could go in there and say, as a parent, saying, "I, I want to help my child with this new math or the." Memorizing the periodic table, whatever, right? And it'll use, it'll give you the options of the, based on the techniques that we teach uh, to make it easy for you, right? And this this app that we're creating this now with AI is it can measure your reading speed, it can measure your reading comprehension. All the tools in here too, you could go through and say feed it. You could feed into an AI program, not even ours, and just say, hey, this is the toast I'm giving at this wedding. Uh, build a memory palace for me so I could easily remember it, or create a story mm, you know, format or whatever. Um, like, or, or hey, I'm learning this sales process, and give kind of put your notes there, and can you mind map this for me, right? And so it could provide the tree branches of the structure uh, for whole brain note taking. And so there's there's so many even like I talk about retrieval practice, so it could quiz you at a certain interval. Um, to test how much you actually remember, because it's not just about pushing information in; it's it's pulling it out, right? You encode it, you store it, then you retrieve it. But that retrieval practice, the quizzing yourself, is a wonderful way to to deepen those neural connections and reinforce, like taking things from your short term to long term memory. So I'm I'm very like bullish on on AI. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's a fun thing. I mean, every there's no there's no part of our business that our our team that's not utilizing it in some way, shape, or form. And I and I think the future would be and we're they're using now some of our, our our trainings in some of the top school systems in the world in Finland and South Korea. I've gone multiple places and throughout Europe training uh, principals and educators there. And I'm excited. The states is interesting. It's a different kind of kind of environment. But I do believe that it's the future is about personalization. It's because because think about the opposite. Hundreds of you know, it was like the assembly line was like the model for the the school system, and it was like one size fits all based on your manufacturing date, your age, right, the day you're you know the year you're born, and everyone pretty much was treated the same. And I don't envy teachers uh, that because when you and I grew up. You know, we grew up on joysticks, but now kids are—they have the world's information. They have more access to information than 
than Clinton did when he was in, in office, right? And the context switching or scrolling through, it's not just the content, it's like different contexts. But do you know how exhausting that is to the human brain and how much brain glucose you burn through to kind of light up this part of your brain, to this part, to this part, to this part? And it's driving you to distraction because every like, share, comment, cat video, whatever you're wearing, this dopamine flood. And we wonder why kids can't pay attention in school. I mean, it, it, it's so hard. Like I've, I've lectured in front of college classes and, you know, over the past 20, 30 years I've done this. And it is so hard now lecturing in front of a college class because they all have their laptops in front of them. You have to really disrupt their thinking consistently. Yeah. Like every few, every few minutes you have to have a massive disruption happen in order to keep them off their, their eyes off their laptops. And that's why I think storytelling and adding humor and, you know, we do a lot of, when I speak, interactive exercises where I get them physically getting up and doing group exercises. But I do think teachers, I mean, think about it now. Now we have unfeathered access to the world's information through podcasts like, like yours, uh, YouTube. I mean, people can be learning from the world's best, right? So I see teachers more with, with access to the world's information. People could learn history from the best history experts in the world and AI to personalize things. And I see teachers really being more facilitators, you know, for the experiential yeah. part, for the social part, um, for the collaboration, for the experimental part of, of, of learning, which is very important also, also as well. But the school system just hasn't changed as much as the world is. I mean, we live in an age of autonomous electric cars, spaceships going to Mars, right? But our vehicle of choice when it comes to education is more like a horse and carriage. It just, it just hasn't evolved. They, they say to Rip Van Winkle, the guy who slept for like decades, the only thing he would, if he woke up today, recognizes are classrooms. <laughs> and again, not a slight against teachers. It's just a systemic issue, right? The system hasn't changed as much as the world has changed. Well, it has to be demanded by the market. So people yeah. have to know, like that guy told you when you were in college, that you have a choice, that you have to... <laughs> you have to actually make a decision, I'm going to use th this kind of education instead of this kind of education. And we don't really realize, or young people still don't really realize as, as much as they could that they have that choice because it's yeah. been so ingrained in us. But let me ask you like on uh, neuroplasticity. So that's the idea that you can form new brain connections as you get older. Yeah. Previously it was thought you couldn't do it. Now it's understood generally that, that you could, although maybe not as fast as when you're younger. How do you enhance your neuroplasticity? So the, the key for neuroplasticity, which is, again, neuroplasticity is, is stating that your brain is more malleable and it, it could grow and you can make more connections. Like Einstein's brain wasn't bigger than anybody else's, but there are parts of his brain that were just high, more high traffic, right? It's kind of like if somebody is walking through a field and they one, they're not going to change it, but if they did it repetitively, you, you would start having some inroads and some paths mm -hmm. there. And those are like your memories and your learnings that are, that are connecting. You have 87, 86 billion neurons. Each one it could have up to 10,000 synaptic connections. So there, there are more potential connections in the human brain, one human brain, than there are stars in our universe. I mean, that, that's an immense amount of power. But so, you know, usually the fall, the, it gets less plastic after about six years of age, uh, 25 years of age. Things are more hard coded. But yeah, studies show that you could, you could, you could absolutely get older, but in, in some areas, absolutely get wiser because you could continue with neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. Neurogenesis is part of your hippocampus, which is you know, associated with memory. You could create new brain cells. And how do you do that? Through two, two ways, novelty and nutrition. 
It's the same exact as building your biceps. You know, you can build your muscles, your biceps, your triceps, your 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 leg muscles, whatever. You give it novelty. You give it some form of, of exercise, right? Stimulation, and then you feed that muscle, right, with, with with what it needs to be able to grow. And so, for for neuroplasticity, it helps to have that growth mindset because otherwise, if you don't have a growth mindset, and you think things are fixed, which is the opposite of growth. Like your shoe size, if you think your your mental aptitude and your brain performance is just like static, then you're not going to do the things uh, that get you out of your comfort zone, like doing a, a comedy set on a subway, right? And I feel like that life is difficult for for two reasons: either you're leaving your comfort zone and it forces you to grow, like people would do physically, but this is we're talking about neuroplasticity with your brain, your mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions, right? Oliver Wendell Home. Mm-hmm. But life is difficult when you leave your comfort zone, but also life is difficult if you stay in your comfort zone too, right? And it's all just, you've heard this before, like choosing your heart. Being broke is, is hard. Going out there, starting a business or is hard, right? Working hard is hard. Being sick and tired is hard, and doing everything, eating the best foods, and meal prep, and exercising—that's that's hard, right? But we we choose our hard, and so I would say for neuroplasticity is novelty, and I think one of the best ways is is listening and reading, right? Like whatever, whatever people are doing right now, they're listening to this conversation. If they heard something they didn't hear before, and they they contemplate it and they reflect on it, especially they act on it, your brain's not the same after this conversation. It's just not. Right. If if you if you know something that you didn't know yesterday, there there was neuroplasticity that exists, and I would just say that some people they they're you know we hear about exercising your body all the time because you see it, and I always in every photograph I'm always pointing to my brain. I'm always wearing a brain shirt if you're watching this on video because what you see you take care of, and you see your hair, your car, your clothes, whatever because it's in your awareness. But we don't see the thing that takes care of us. You don't see your that's, brain all the time. That's a really good point. I should start. Yeah. Doing that, and that's why I'm always pointing to my brain in pictures or wearing a brain on my shirt because this is the thing that we have to take care of because this is what takes care of us. And I want to remind everybody that you, you are the pilot of your brain; you're not the passenger. So many people feel like they're at the effect, right? We're just kind of going where the weather, or the politics, or whatever you know is, is dictating. But a big part of being limitless is regaining our sovereignty, you know, our personal agency and responsibility, knowing that every day we can have a new. We could have a chance because we can make a new choice every single day. And so, for what I would say for novelty is, I like reading personally. I think reading is to your mind what exercise is to your body, um, and then feeding your brain with the right nutrients. And I'm and I'm not a nutritionist. Uh, I don't have a like this. Is not, I'm not a medical doctor, but be intelligent about this. We are all bio diverse, right? Bio-original. And so like kale might be good for some person, not for the other, right? They might be allergic to it, can't digest it, whatever. But in the last episode that you and I did together, I talk about some of my favorite brain foods. What I, what I believe... Though, By the way, I'm amazed that you remember that because that when was that last episode we did together was like was quite, a, yeah. a long time ago. It, it was, but it's... But, well, yeah, and this is how it works. But we we did this thing where we memorized, we put like, you know, avocados on our hair and blueberries coming out of your nose and all this different stuff. And I walk you through my my office and we linked all the different things there as like a memory palace. But my point of bringing this up is I prefer people get it from their food, but there if you're not getting it from your food, you could do a nutrient profile. Because if you're low in vitamin D or vitamin B, your brain's just not gonna be doing what it can do. And you can learn all the speed reading memory techniques and you'll get gain without a doubt. 
But if you don't eat eggs, like I talked about in previous episode, that eggs is a great brain food. We had it on your on your neck, but it's the choline in eggs. So you might need a supplement. You get it in eggs. You get it in uh, in soybeans. But choline is is a is a powerful nutrient that it's critical for. It leads to acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter that supports memory, supports cognitive function. Probably the most important supplement that people could look into is omega-3 fatty acids, particularly DHA, which is crucial for, for brain health and development. Um, and that's in, the, you know, found in salmon and sa- salmon, sardines, flax seeds. Yeah, it, it's it's there. And it, but if you're not getting enough of that in your diet, and you could test all these things, you could test for nowadays. You go to a good functional medicine doctor or a good nutritionist and get your your vitamin levels tested. Your B vitamins are essential, especially uh, a B6, B9, which is your folate, B12, uh, vital for brain health. Magnesium. Is, is so critical for hundreds of physiological processes, especially mm. for your brain. But you know, but you could even go into things like um, one of my favorites is creatine. And people associate that with working out. Um, a lot of athletes use it. But it, creatine is a natural substance produced in our bodies and it's predominant in um, meat and fish. Uh, and, but maybe you need to supplement it if you're, if you're uh, vegan. But it's, it's, it helps improve cognitive function because what it does. It helps with um, especially short-term memory and quick thinking because it helps with energy metabolism. Mm. So as your mitochondria, your ATP, as you create energy, you feel kind of depleted. So creatine is one of the most researched supplements uh, for, for for not just for muscle growth, but for cognitive growth. Um, I talk about in the previous episode, uh, turmeric lowers inflammation, but the active ingredient, if you're not getting that in your diet, is uh, curcumin. And curcumin is anti-inflammatory. It has huge antioxidant benefits. It could cross the blood-brain barrier and has been shown to lead to improvements in cognitive function, especially in people who are showing early stages of um, patients with Alzheimer's disease. Mm. And so that's something you could supplement. I mean, we hear a lot about mushrooms like lion's mane. Uh, It's a unique nootropic that has uh, neuroprotective effects. And lots of research showing that could actually stimulate the synthesis of uh, this nerve growth factor in your brain and also could help reduce inflammation. Probably the most popular of the nootropics is caffeine. I don't know. Do you be a big coffee drinker? Uh, I usually drink a cup or two every morning. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm a little sensitive, so I have to be careful with my sleep. You know, I can't do caffeine past, I notice, around 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, 12 is my max. Yeah. Then when you combine it with something called L-theanine, that's very powerful because the result is you get greater brain function without the jittery side effects. Because so I'm, I'm very sensitive. L-theanine and caffeine actually found naturally in uh, in green tea. You know, and you've you heard a lot about the power of green tea. Uh, ginkgo biloba is another powerful one. It's uh, been used thousands of years in, in Chinese medicine to treat different uh, ailments, including cognitive decline. But the research shows that it actually promotes good blood circulation. And that's really the name of the game for, you ask if I got my brain scanned, and I've had my brain scanned since, you know, as an adult, multiple times, and uh, and blood flow. Because a traumatic brain injury, you don't get enough blood flow in that area because of the damage, and you need to get oxygen there, right? That's why part of the protocol for TBIs is uh, hyperbaric chambers, like hyperbaric oxygen chambers, to to push oxygen in, in areas to help uh, recover and repair. So, but ginkgo is wonderful for blood flow um, and and in circulation, which which is amazing. So, so in in, in the book, we talk about three dozen uh, brain supplements and nootropics uh, that that human studies, 
not not kind of like um, I never talk about supplements in thirty years, but I realize that some people can learn great techniques, but if they're lacking in certain nutrients, key nutrients, it could throw them off. Just like everyone wants to know what the magic pill is. But there's not a pill, but there's a process, right? You need sleep. You need the meds, right? We always talk about meds. The M stands for meditation. You disconnect to reconnect uh, to get some kind of rejuvenation, improve your focus. The E is exercise. As your body moves, your brain grows. You create brain-derived neurotropic factors, which is fertilizer for neuroplasticity. The D is your diet. And we've talked about your, your best, you know, favorite brain foods. And stay away from highly refined foods, processed food, high sugar foods, anti-inflammation uh, foods. And then the S is sleep. So those are your meds. And if you're to add anything, you could add RX, meds RX. The R is relationships. You know, we had on, on our, we've done multiple episodes on the power of relationships, even the largest happiness study out of Harvard University and longevity study. And a lot of you in these blue zones, it's they be with the family, right? It's it's because the opposite is being lonely and isolated. And we know that's a big mental health issue for this country and, and abroad. So the R is relationships, a positive peer group, people that, uh, you know, just like, you know, as hunter gatherer, you want to feel like you're supported, you're in a village, you have protection, you're safe. And then the the X in RX, meds RX, is just the extras that we talk about a lot in the book and the power of cold showers or cold plunges and you know heat shock proteins coming from you know infrared saunas and red light therapy and all that extra stuff. But um, there's so many different things that you can do to optimize your brain and your performance. You know, and also you, you almost need an extra letter for the negative thinking, like your, your ants. Um, yeah. Oh, well, that that yeah, that's a different. Yeah. Absolutely, our thoughts are play a big role. Our mind is always eavesdropping on our self talk, and even if you find yourself saying, going back to limiting beliefs, like I don't have a great memory, even if you had a little catch yourself, because self awareness is a superpower, right? You cultivate self awareness because you can't change something unless you're aware of it. But even if you say I don't have a great memory, just add a little word like yet, or you find yourself saying, oh, I got to take my kid to music class, right? I got to work out, I got to meditate. Even changing a little word like got to get. You know, I get to take my my son to music class today. I get to work out, or I get to take fifteen minutes and just be calm. I just, I think it feels like it definitely feels different for me, at least, because the language that we use it, it affects our nervous system and also what's what's possible. Well, you know, Jim, it it's funny you say what's possible because your book's titled Limitless. <laughs> I mean, everything's possible. And I really do believe that. Like your book has had a huge influence on me since the first time we spoke about it so many years ago. I, I It was like 2015 or 2014 where we first yeah. spoke about it. And uh, I'm really grateful for all you've done. I've learned so much from, from your work, even when there's you know times, you know we haven't spoken for a long time, but I'm still following your stuff and learning from you. This expanded edition is incredible. You had it's a much thicker book. You you had so much depth there, to it, and I really encourage. Like this is kind of a a very important journey for me that I'm going on, and and a book like this is exactly like the book I need for this journey. And I'm I'd be happy to talk to you offline about uh, yeah. what what's been going on and what what I could do. But um, and I'm I'm writing a book about the process and the whole concept of quests as well. But but it's just always fascinating talking to you. You have so many incredible stories. You've been through so much. And you know, I could see the effect that applying these practices has had on you. And I read about your students and so on. But of course, thank you once again, Jim, for, for coming sure. on the podcast. Well, the last time we actually saw each other in person, I was over your house for the, the Game of Thrones uh, series finale. <laughs> 
Yes, that was a different. That was like a lifetime ago. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah, people should take that. You know, I mentioned the game of there's Game of Thrones quizzes, but the the my brain animal. If I can encourage everyone to do just one thing besides get the book limitlessbook.com, is to take the quiz at mybrainanimal.com and post it on social media. You get some nice AI art, and then tag James and tag myself because I'm curious what 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 the dominant brain animal is of your community. And uh, I think a lot of people, if, even if they text it to a friend or family member, it'll explain a lot of their behavior. That sometimes we 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 bump heads, and I feel like you know part of it again is having the curiosity to know yourself, and then the be the yourself. And and I want I want to thank you, James, for your friendship. Thank you for your amazing work, your books. Oh, I have to have it. you back on our podcast also as well to talk about you know any projects. And yeah, let's talk offline and talk about this chess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I have some real, real, real good ideas on this one. Oh, excellent. I got your back and I got your brain. Excellent. Well, I look forward to it. And, and Jim, thank you so much. And thanks for delivering this expanded edition of Limitless. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, everybody. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money.